0: FYI, this podcast contains spoilers.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 137 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. Here we are at Battle World headquarters, Battle World Central. For another Secret Wars update.
0: Update, update. Where's our theme song?
1: It, it was, it was playing already. You missed it. Oh. Did you take a nap? No, What's going I, on?
0: I was playing Candy Crush.
1: Watch the teleprompter. I'm sorry. Anyway, we're your uh, Secret Wars news anchors, Jason and Denise Venable. We're gonna man the central station and bounce you out to our special Secret Wars correspondence.
0: That's right. Through the magic of radio, or podcasting,
1: or television,
0: whichever you prefer, but probably
1: podcasting,
0: we can zap you all the way from (laughs) Texas to London.
1: Suddenly, I feel like I'm in a Willy Wonka's chocolate factory with the TV candy. Do Do this again now, poopy on you. All right, I won't do it again. (laughs) Um... Unless you're into that kind of thing, then I will withhold my poop from you.
0: If they're into Oompa Loompas?
1: (laughs) Yes, that's what I meant. Um, But I do want to say we are going to skip a book. (gasps) Blasphemy. Well, all right. So we've been on vacation. You may have noticed a a lag in episodes. Um, No, barely. I I tried to to pad it before we left so you had stuff to listen to. But um, We did our uh, American Southwest trip. That's right. Pretty awesome. We did a Carlsbad Caverns. And um, we
0: hiked out of it.
1: Yes. Yeah. We did the natural entrance, uh, which was cool. We saw the bats.
0: the natural exit.
1: (laughs) Well, yes. We made the exit. (laughs) Uh, We saw the bats at night, though I did not see Batman. Then we went on to a painted desert and petrified forest, which was awesome. Very cool. And then made our way to the Grand Canyon.
0: Which was stunning.
1: As always. Yeah. It's a fantastic majestic hole in the ground um but it's, it's pretty awesome uh, but anyway this whole the point of this whole segue not that y'all care about our travel plans but uh, ethan is still gone and we wanted him to continue to cover uh, giant sized little marvel with us so yeah. we're gonna skip that book until he gets back in town he is still um so he goes with the in-laws or my her, parents, yes, my in-laws, her parents, in the RV, and they left a week before we did, and drove and did a couple of extra things, and then we flew out and met him. and then we flew back home, and he's uh, making his way back across the country on on wheels, so he's That's right. he's not here yet. So anyway, when he gets back, on our next episode about current books, our next Secret Wars episode, uh, we'll we'll cover that book. So it is out now. I'm not ignoring it. We're just uh, waiting.
0: That's right. You got to let the Muppet do that book.
1: Yes. And so the the books we'll talk about today, or this episode, will be Years of Future Past, Extinction Agenda, E is for Extinction, and Age of Apocalypse. And then we'll also cover a little story from a Secret Wars journal here at the desk. But um, before (laughs) we get to that, you know, this episode is all about secret wars. Secret shh. So we, shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but we we have some news re- involving the Marvel Universe, the all-new, all-different MU, post-Secret Wars. Uh-oh. And yes, uh, this news was revealed, uh, I think, precisely two days after our last Secret Wars episode came out. Wow. So, at this so point, we're giving you
0: old news. It's
1: kind of old news, but we just wanted to t- touch on it real fast. On the books that involve Wolverines.
0: And we're hoping that you... uh,
1: Not the terrible weekly series, but just the new... The Wolverines that we have discussed that will be present post-Secret Wars.
0: Yeah, and we're kind of hoping y'all are behind. (laughs) So we seem relevant.
1: We are relevant! I am relevant!
0: All right, honey, whatever you say.
1: (laughs) Anyway... Uh, so there's really five books we're going to mention real quickly with their creative teams and rosters and such. The first is Extraordinary X-Men, which will be written by Jeff Lemire with art by Umberto Ramos. Uh, this is the beginning of uh, Jeff Lemire tackling the X-Men. He's going to kind of anchor that corner of the universe. And are we know.
0: excited for him to tackle that corner of well, the universe? right. So
1: it's been Bendis forever, it feels like. Right. I don't know. Uh, I've honestly not read as much Jeff Lemire as some people. What I have read I like but don't love and I know he's kind of like people are just really hungry for Jeff Lemire. Um, He has that new image book Descender that everyone's eating up that I think is stunning to look at and in fact it's funny uh, Dan who you'll hear from later this episode Said that it was great to look at, but not that much story-wise. And I was like, oh, but I really liked the first issue. But now, you know, five issues in, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's kind of boring. Um, but he's a very acclaimed writer. I've admittedly not read much of his DC stuff. His Green Arrow run is supposed to be legendary. I haven't read it. Shame on you. Well, I can't read everything. I can only buy so many comics.
0: That's true.
1: For your... Um, per my Mandate.
0: budgetary <laughs> requests
1: No, and agreed upon budget I can only buy so many comics and Green Arrow just never made the cut for me that said like, like what, like, I don't know I guess basically what I'm saying is what I've read I've liked but I don't slobber and drool over him like some people do I don't get what necessarily all the hype's about but I don't think he's bad either so we'll see
0: well, all I gotta say is I'm loving the art
1: well, yeah, I like Ramos or Ramos. And so on this team, we have Storm, who looks to be the leader, which I always like when Storm's the leader.
0: I actually like her costume. I'm, Even though I'm not a big fan of showing boobs and being half naked, I yeah, don't mind I, her costume.
1: I don't like it as much as her current costume, but it's not bad. I like the white on it.
0: Yeah, I like the white.
1: Though that detail in the shirt is going to get old to draw, I would think. Yeah, I have a feeling. We'll probably see a lot of panels where it's just white.
0: (laughs) Well, I have a feeling it'll probably be like a one and done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. On the really close-ups, it'll be nice and detailed. But then we also have, we have older Iceman. We have a Colossus with a beard.
0: Interesting.
1: Which will be interesting to see if that's just, okay, he grew a beard. Or if this is supposed to be one of the older Colossuses from a different Timeline. Different Ooh, universe. good call. Because we have at least three different timelines represented on this team. So there could be a fourth. Anyway, we also have Magic and Nightcrawler. And then we have Young Jean. Boo. <laughs> and Old Man Logan. Yay. So that's that team in that book. Next, briefly, we have Uncanny X-Men, written by Colin Bunn, with art by Greg Land. Uh, this is going to be Magneto, Psylocke, Mystique, Phantom X, and Sabretooth. That's where he's going to land. So I don't know. This is a bunch of ex-villains and Psylocke. But anyway, Sabretooth, I don't know if we still have Pussycat Sabretooth. He grew his hair back. Ooh, or, or is this cover misleading? I don't know. Because hmm. he looks to be in his classic 90s costume and Magneto's back in his purple and red and not the really awesome black and white suit he's been trouting lately. But this is written by Colin Bunn, whose Magneto series has been spectacular. Um, and Greg Land, I don't hate him as much as some people do, so I'll just leave it at that. I expect the writing on that to be awesome, and we'll see where he, uh, what direction he takes it. The tagline is, bigger threats we require more threatening X-Men. So it sounds kind of like an X-Force type book.
0: We'll I'd see. also like to say, in flipping through this little book that, he ha- that Jason has... I'm going to shoot the marketing person that said the type needed to be bigger on this page. It's inconsistent with the rest of the book, and it's driving me crazy.
1: They're all different sizes, aren't they?
0: Yes, and it drives me crazy. It shouldn't be like that. Sorry. Fill up your white space. No. (laughs) End of
1: design rant. Thank you. Marketing rant, courtesy of Denise (laughs) Minnable. Sorry. Anyway, and then a book I was a little bit surprised to see. Ooh, what's that? Um, We're going to continue with a relaunch of all new X-Men by Dennis Hopeless and Mark Bagley. I've not been the biggest fan of Dennis Hopeless. Uh-oh. I felt like his, sometimes his writing is hopelessly bad, but we'll see. Um, oh, but dum bum Yeah, a bad pun for, for books I didn't necessarily like. But art by Mark Bagley is always a good thing.
0: I do actually kind of like that art.
1: Yeah. And so anyway, uh, our new Wolverine, our all-new Wolverine, who is uh, formerly known as X-23, will be on this team. And we'll have Young Beast, Young Cyclops, Young Angel, and Young Iceman. And they apparently get a microbus and drive around. Sweet. Yeah, and so that sounds fun.
0: It's like the mystery machine.
1: Yeah, so that's our 3 X ex-team books, all of which have a Wolverine or Wolverine stand-in. <laughs> so obviously it kind of makes sense. Then we have two solo books to talk about. Of course, we all knew that Old Man Logan was sticking around. So, besides being in *Extraordinary X-Men*, he will also have his own book, written by Jeff Lemire, and art by uh, the guy doing the *Secret Wars* book of Old Man Logan. He will continue, Andrea Sorrentino. Nice. Yeah, so that's that's pretty cool, and he's going to be kind of a character out of time. He knows his bleak future and must fight to prevent it, or something like that. It doesn't say that. That's just my assumption.
0: No, it says older, wiser, sharper. Yeah. It's but... a pencil. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, of course, we have all-new Wolverine, written by Tom Taylor and art by David Lopez. I like the art. Of course, David Lopez coming over from uh, Captain Marvel.
0: I am bummed that X-23 doesn't appear to have her her hair streaks.
1: I will miss that, but I my only...
0: um, conundrum concession on that
1: is that does she really need it now that she has a full-on wolverine uniform
0: i think it's cool when she's not in uniform she's still representing wolverine
1: yeah i wouldn't mind it being there but i'm not gonna pitch a fit over it i guess
0: i am (laughs) (laughs) wow
1: you sure throw a fit like a baby
0: Okay, just because Whee! I don't like Jean, I don't like scantily clad <laughs> female figures, and I want X23 streaks doesn't call me a baby.
1: No, I, I just, I said, I only called you that because you went, wee.
0: Mm. <laughs> I'm going to hurt you later. that was
1: obvious with you.
0: I'm going to hurt you later.
1: Anyway, I like the art, and I don't, I know I've read Tom Taylor somewhere, but I can't place it. And so I'm assuming he's pretty decent. So, so, uh, this the tagline here is, best there is at what she does. Which is a nice play on the old Wolverine um, yeah. tagline.
0: I also, it's very cliche, but I do like it. They have he, but then they like wrote in the S for right, she. Right,
1: right, like it was a correction, like an editor correction. Right. It's underlined in red. Yeah. Yeah, like editing a, a research paper. It's um,
0: cheesy, and I've seen it before, but... It works.
1: Yeah, I kind of have mixed feelings on the... I'm not usually a big fan of the speech balloons on covers, but this kind of feels old school, like a 70s comic, like when Wolverine first came out. So it's kind of like, okay, well, it's a throwback on the cover. So, yeah, not bad. And that's it. So I will say I like the fact, one thing about having two Wolverines or, or a Logan and a new Wolverine and then Sabretooth, maybe or maybe not, Still being kind of a good guy, is that we can fill out the X teams without having the same. Like, we have a Wolverine in all the X books, but it's not all the same character, right? And at least for now, none of the characters are really doubled up on teams. Like, we have the two solo Wolverine books, which we knew we would have, and Marvel is not gonna cut that uh, sales out of their uh, chart, their pie chart. No. Um, But yeah, so those are the five kind of Wolverines-related X-books for post-Secret Wars. So overall, I'm fairly excited. I mean, we'll definitely be covering all of it. So yeah, what are are your overall thoughts on on our post-Secret Wars book lineup?
0: Well, I'm excited to see what they do with X-23. Yeah. And how she sort of transitions to being the new Wolverine.
1: Right. Yeah, that's cool.
0: And then I'm curious what they're going to do with Old Man Logan. I kind of want to see a crossover between Old Man Logan and X-23. I'm
1: sure we will at some point, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, like we said previously, I'd love to see their interaction. Yeah. So that's that. Let's get back to our Secret Wars news. So first up. Denise and I are going to talk about Secret Wars Journal number three. This, is, of course, is our anthology book, or one of our two anth- Secret Wars anthology books. The first story is Who Killed Tony Stark, written by Frank Thierry. Not Frank Tiara, like I always say subconsciously. Um, and that's not a slide. I like Frank Thierry quite a bit. Um, and art by Richard Eisenhove. Then we have The Smashing Cure. Which sounds like a great tribute band of Smashing Pumpkins and The Cure. It does. (laughs) And then that, of course, is the writer on that is Comedy Bang Bang's own Scott Ackerman. Art by R.B. Silva, who I remember from his Superboy days when the New 52 first kicked off. And a color artist guru effects and letters by V.C.'s Corey Pettit. Anyway, our cover by Jake Wyatt is Doc Sampson. With a cool lightning bolt tie. uh, Sitting on a park bench. And we have all kinds of Marvel hero hulks in the background going nuts. With lots of halftone.
0: Oh, I love the halftone.
1: I do too. I think it's a pretty cool cover.
0: I could just like roll around on it.
1: (laughs) Alrighty. Rolling around naked in halftone. So our first story, Who Killed Tony Stark? Has a Wolverine in it. And this is from the Marvel Noir Universe. And it is an old town. And basically, Wolverine is kind of like a PI, whatever. And someone has killed Tony Stark.
0: Oh, no. Help me, Wolverine. Help me. And Pepper
1: Potts has hired Wolverine or Logan, whatever, to try to use his special senses and powers to find the murder weapon. They talk about the Fing Fang Foom Dragon, which I thought was a nice Easter egg that that's, instead of being an actual dragon, is a statue. Of a jade dragon. thought that was pretty cool. Oh, I thought it was cheesy. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, and Stark found it, but Mandarin said, no, that belongs to my family, and I want it back. And Tony Stark locked it up in a safe, and now it's missing. Oh, no. So Logan goes after Mandarin and fights Mandarin. He's like, wait a second. You're not my Mandarin. You don't smell like an orange. You don't have the right rings. But you got new jewelry. And then this new Mandarin uses his ring powers and electrically chokes Wolverine. And Then the noir Punisher shows up. I really like him. He's like in a suit. Like in a, he looks like an untouchable, but then he has the skull like mask on.
0: Yeah, I did like that. He looks
1: really cool. He looks very reminiscent of Mitch Gerard's mask that he uses currently in the Punisher books. R.I.P. to that. That team on that series, I'm going to miss that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there for this story. So the puncher shows up, and he shows Logan, hey, there's different people here. Here's a different whiplash. And he's got these weird tattoos. And there's been, what what does he say? Uh, Oh, there's three of these refugees that he's tracking that came into their land from another land. And, of course, we see through the reader's eye, they're from the Age of Apocalypse... And, of course, we recognize kind of the red, stripy tattoos that the Age of Apocalypse characters sometimes have, particularly Wolverine. And so we have Whiplash. We have the new Mandarin, who has the weird tattoos. And Logan's like, wait, third... And so they find their Pepper Potts body and Logan realizes that there's another Pepper Potts. And of course, for the reader's benefit, we see her getting dressed with the Fiend Fang Fung statue in a handbag. And she lifts up her dress and we see her tattoos on her thigh.
0: She sits down and her dress gracefully falls oh, to yes, the I'm side. I'm sorry.
1: I didn't make, mean to make that sound perverse. It's just... whatever. Dave Matthews, she's on a train and Dave Matthews is standing outside. Lift up your dress a little more. And show the world to me. And she obliged. And he goes, oh, nice tattoo. Actually, I don't know why I'm making him talk like Bob Dylan. He usually <laughs> sounds like he has crickets in his mouth. I don't really know how to do that. <laughs> so I did Bob Dylan instead. No, hey, Matthew's got to talk to <laughs> Oh, my
0: goodness.
1: Anyway, we have the end. I won't lie. I really enjoyed the art. Of course, uh, Izenove did our uh, bootlegger story in a Savage Wolverine. Yes. So this kind of fits the same style. I I kind of like the idea of like this detective story. We have these characters from another land uh, coming in and and messing things up. And Wolverine's got to track them down. I was kind of bummed it was so short. I could have used this as a separate series and followed it along. I really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, um, I like the art.
1: (laughs) What didn't you like about the story? Because obviously you didn't.
0: No, it, I guess because I was following that Wolverine was a PI, so to speak. But then when I started to try it, and maybe it's just because I haven't gotten the hang of this whole multiverse thing, it was like Pepper Potts and Tony Stark, they weren't alive back then. And then when The Punisher came in, it was like. No, no, no. What? Okay, so,
1: but this isn't back then. So the Marvel, there's a whole Marvel noir series that was all the characters as if it was a pulp. Pol- uh, novel from the 40s
0: yeah or Mm. 30s or whatever that would be yeah i thought the art was nice yeah and and i i did like the little twist at the end with pepper pods yeah but for the most part
1: eh. i will say talking about the art i think it definitely fits this kind of story my least favorite panel was the age of apocalypse panel and the thing is, art really fit that as well.
0: No, I, I felt like that was the most out of place piece of art.
1: Yeah. But overall, I, re- I really enjoyed that story. So, as far as the uh, Smashing Cure, of course, I love Scott Ackerman, no secret there. It's basically uh, Greenland, or it says near Greenland. And this appears to be at the beginning, you know, we saw in, if you read Planet Hulk number one, which we've not talked about on the show. But if you are reading it, at the end of issue one, they did kind of an origin story of when everyone first started turning into Hulks. So this seems to be around that time, and Doc Samson is a Hulk psychiatrist. And he sees all these Hulks getting mad, everyone's hulking out and smashing shit. Then we see Peter, who's obviously Peter Parker. He talks about his whole Spider-Man origin story, but he's not Spider-Man anymore, and now he's the Hulk. And he gets really mad, and then Samson hulks out, says, calm down. And he does, and Peter's like, how'd you do that? How'd you control it? We kind of get the thing from the first Avengers movie. Dot right. Doc Sampson's like, dude, everybody gets angry. You just have to learn how to control it. Right. And this whole time, he's talking about how like pessimistic he thinks the situation is. Then he tells his colleague after he meets with Peter that he feels more optimistic, that he can make a difference. Of course, if you read Planet Hulk, you know he doesn't. That Greenland ends up a big wasteland run by rampant rageaholic hulks. <laughs> wow. But anyway, it's a nice little story. Anyway, I thought the art was really cool. Overall, what are you going to give Secret Wars Journal number three?
0: I'm going to give it three out of six.
1: Okay, we're going to be kind of different. I'm going to give it five out of six.
0: My viewpoint is if you know someone who owns it, borrow it.
1: Okay. And I say this is the best of the journal series so far. Okay. It's the only one that I I read a story and said, I want more of that. Oh. With the possible exception of that Egypt story, but that was more I wanted someone else to write more of it, not the actual story we got. (laughs) But um, anyway, so yeah, Secret Wars Journal number three. Denise gives it three out of six claws. I give it five out of six claws. And with that, we're going to go to Jack with uh, Years of Future Past. Take it away, Jack.
2: Hello, Jason and listeners of the podcast that goes snicked. My name is Jack. I am back to review Years of Future Past, number two from Marvel. It is the uh, second issue in the Secret Wars tie-in, essentially playing on the uh, Days of Future Past classic story. If you heard the episode um, a few weeks ago, you will know that I reviewed issue one for this show, and I wasn't a huge fan of it. Unfortunately, issue two is not much of an improvement, but I feel like, in particular, the artwork very much improves in this issue, and uh, Mike Norton, the artist, has some really standout moments. But let's talk about it in general. Margaret Bennett, unfortunately, kind of gets a bit carried away with herself, I feel. Um, It gets a bit self-indulgent in the dialogue, and for those of you who know me and my taste in in comics and and TV shows and films and things like that, I am the dialogue guy. I love dialogue, I love character interactions. I love character development. I don't particularly care about big action set pieces and stuff. But, particularly in comics, I feel like you get the you can have the problem of just talking heads. Where you get panel after panel of just people and speech bubbles, heads, speech bubbles, heads, speech bubbles. Unfortunately, this issue, more so than the first one, suffers from that problem. Bennett is really trying to... I feel like it's quite rushed, and she's just trying to establish all of these different characters and all these various versions of um, like new characters um, so Christina Pride is a particular example here who is Colossus and Kate Pride's daughter and yeah they, they seem to just automatically just like yay she's great and they barely know her we barely know her powers and Christina just assumes the role of like the mutant saviour essentially without any character development and she doesn't do anything there's like a really hard sell for her to be this interesting savior style character but fortunately mike norton's artwork really really sells some of the characters in particular my favorite x-man colossus looks incredible kate pride colossus um, cameron who is wolverine's son looks awesome Storm has some fantastic moments. I mean, the cover is a shot of Storm unleashing lightning bolts and, and being a badass and essentially vaporizing things with her powers. And Mike Norton's really kind of nailing that kind of John Byrne classic kind of vibe, but really modernizing it and giving it that real clean, awesome like superhero style that I really like. I particularly like the really clean, not necessarily stylized, but... um. But really, really cool style that Mike Norton is kind of renowned for these days. Like I said, unfortunately, none of the characters get much development. There's no kind of, um, yeah, there's no kind of development across these two issues that seems to have any weight on the story in general. And while I like the idea and the concept and the plot in theory, it doesn't pay off very much, and it all feels a bit rushed and just runs through to a conclusion that. I don't think is necessarily satisfying um, it's a great looking book thanks to uh, Mike and the art team a particular shout out to um, FCO Plusencia for the colours as well And the Joe Caramagna lettering in places is really nice as well. It's always impressive to see people handle the kind of talking head panels in a way. Um, I'm a big fan of lettering and things like that. And as I mentioned, Art Adams and Peter Steigerwald do the cover with Storm looking like a badass, and that's great as well. But unfortunately... Story and characters feel a bit rushed and it doesn't properly pay off for me. So I liked it a little bit more than the first issue and I'm going to go one-handed, three claws out of six for Years of Future Past number two. Just a quick plug for me and my podcast as well. I know Dan, my co-host on the Intercomics Podcast, is also reviewing books um, as well. You can check us out at Intercomics Pod on Twitter or intercomicspodcast.com. Dan and I have previously appeared on the show when we discussed Secret Wars, all that. Um, the, the original Secret Wars, just to clarify, not the current one, the one from the 80s, that um, wonderful monstrosity, and we're really looking forward to having Jason on our show sometime in the future as well, so uh, yeah, come check us out if you want to uh, hear more about weekly comics news and uh, what we like and what we don't like about this that particular week's comics, and uh, we have nearly 100 episodes for you to go and catch up on there, so yeah. Thank you very much for having me on, Jason. Hopefully, I'll be back on soon um, and we'll start collaborating a lot more with the podcast that goes snicked. But until then, excelsior and be excellent to each other.
1: Oh, thank you, Jack. And I'm sorry. (laughs) I, I was actually very, very, very relieved to hear that you liked number two more than you liked number one, because when I read it, I felt really bad for making you read it. (laughs) <laughs> and, and really, it's and just because, man, that is so many words. There are so many stupid words in this comic.
0: No, there's so many stupid <laughs> moments. Let's back it up to what it is.
1: All right, well, first of all, I agree with Jack. I love the cover by Art Adams. Storm frying the sentinel hand it looks amazing. It is a fantastic cover.
0: It is. I love the, the pure whiteness of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. The color goes a long way. And I agree with Jack that the Mike Norton art is very nice. And, you know, he's kind of renowned for Battle Pug. He even drew a couple of pugs in here. Did you I notice know, that? I know, yeah,
0: I did. I love know, them. Yeah, because you love pugs. I yes. love pugs.
1: Um, and so that was kind of cool. And I agree, the art was great. The dialogue. All right, so I don't think Jack mentioned this. Just to give you a, a, a taste, there is a page in here that's a full-page spread. It's a splash page. And it has three tiny little figures in the bottom. Old Man Colossus, uh, Christina Pride, and Cameron, Wolverine's son. And the rest of the page is all white with about, I don't know, what What do you think that is? A thousand words of dialogue? Yeah, there,
0: there's easily like 20 to 25 speech bubbles. Bubble, bubble,
1: bubble, 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 bubble. Twenty-six traveling speech bubbles, mm. all connected, all spoken by one character.
0: I think I actually started to fall asleep.
1: I did. This was a shorter read, and I'm, I'm, Jack. I'm glad you found some good points in it because I just found this incredibly difficult to slog through. But, but yes, the art is a saving grace. The art looks great. Uh, I will say, Jack made a comment that he thought Colossus, Colossus looked great. Which I agree that he does, but his kind of grey hair, it's kinda of Reed Richards like grey around the temples in the back, kinda of highlights how childish his original costume is. Because seeing an old man in that costume made me laugh pretty hard.
0: I do think it's funny that Kitty Pride's costume is very sexy compared to her daughter's. Which you would think would be the opposite. Catherine oh, Pride old, old ladies, Catherine, right?
1: Yeah, Catherine Kitty. She's she's grown up, so she goes by no, Catherine. No, 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 Christina is. Christina, the mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Christina looks like she's wearing her mom's old costume she is. from like 20 years ago. Yeah, she is. Okay. Remember, That's she found she looks it in a old trunk. Lady-ish.
1: Yeah, and gave it to her. But anyway, yeah, you know, you know, Jack made a, a good point about how much he likes books that are dialogue and character driven when they're r- done right, which I agree. Right. You know. I'm probably more that way in movies even more so than I am in comics where I like stuff that's like kind of a slow burn character pieces more than you know the superhero stuff aside but more than I like like big action movies which I like those too but it's not my preference. You know in comics I feel like for the marriage of words and visuals to work you have to kind of strike the balance between dialogue and action. You
0: have to finesse
1: them. So some books, you can have a lot of words, but if you do, the story has to really progress, and you have to have a lot of character development, like Jack said, which he likes, which we didn't get in this book. Or, on the other side of comics, you can have very little dialogue and lots of big, bombastic action. When a book comes out like this one that has neither it has a lot of words and no action, no real action, but no real development either in it the words, it is a
0: drag to read. Then
1: it kind of fails as a comic book, I think. <laughs> and the marriage of the written form and the visual form that makes comic books great kind of doesn't really happen. So I'm going to be a little bit harsher on this one. I'm going to give it two out of six claws and all of that is for the art. I thought the story went nowhere. I will say... The last page, I'm a little bit excited about a big fight between Doombot Sentinels and a giant Lockheed, but honestly, to me, I would rather see that in like one of the half stories and one of the anthology books than in his own series. So that's, I don't think it's going to save this series for me. And I just don't we're too in and I have no idea what we're trying to say, other than the little full page soapbox we had. But um, <laughs> Which not all of it I disagree with. I just didn't want to read it in my comic (laughs) and not in a whole page. But anyway, what are you going to grade Years of Future Past number two?
0: I'm going to go even lower.
1: Okay, wow.
0: I think I'm going to do one out of six. Okay. If I'm falling asleep while reading a comic (laughs) book (laughs) and it's not because I'm tired, there's a problem. Yeah. That and I just sort of felt like they were trying to explain something to me and I still didn't grasp it. Like I, I reread that one page that had those thousand speech bubbles <laughs> twice. Well, actually three times. The first time I started to doze off. Right. So then I started over. Then I got through half of it and went, what? And then I went back and started reading it over again. Got to the end and went, what? I am not reading that again. And kept on going. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So that's I still don't stand.
0: even know what Colossus was trying to tell his daughter.
1: He was basically trying to say that well, it kind of came off as if he said we're, we're not allowed to have a sense of humor when, when times are bad, which is dumb. But I think what Bennett was actually trying to say was that if you let it slide a little bit, then eventually it just goes a little further and further until things are so bad that you know maybe we could have changed course a long time ago, but we didn't. We were complacent and we just joked about it instead of taking action. Wow. Which I think could be a valid point, but it just gets, it gets mired in, in bad comic writing.
0: No, I'm, I'm saying wow, because I didn't even get any of that. Oh,
1: uh, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, that's Years of Future Past number two. Again, Jack, thank you so much. Next, we're going to go to Dan with Extinction Agenda. Take it away, Dan. Dan? Dan? Dan, are you there?
0: Can you hear us?
1: Oh, no. I think we lost him. Where'd he go? I don't know, but hopefully it's just some kind of mystical interference from Sheriff Strange. I, I, hope, I hope the Thors didn't get him. Doom rest his soul.
0: Oh, we're sorry, Dan.
1: I mean, he wasn't broadcasting anything illegal, so I don't know why the Thors would get involved, but maybe they did.
0: Maybe he tried to steal the hammer. <laughs> maybe so. Dan, you can't lift it.
1: (laughs) I don't know. If any of us are worthy, it's Dan.
0: I don't know. I got some muscles on me.
1: It's not about muscles. It's about honor and nobility.
0: Are you saying I'm not honorable?
1: I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Dan Uh is the um, pinnacle of honor and nobility.
0: Mm. He's
1: a gentleman and a scholar.
0: Yeah, well, I got muscles.
1: (laughs) Dan, do you have muscles? I've never actually seen your arms.
0: That you was weird. To, you
1: have to tweet your arms at me so I can see.
0: And then we'll tweet my 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 <laughs> muscles, and we'll yes. see who's got bigger muscles.
1: <laughs> a muscle, a bicep off. Yes. between my wife and my friend across the pond.
0: That's right. Since we can't arm wrestle, <laughs> we'll just take pictures of our biceps. Right.
1: What? Since we can't get old to Dan, we're going to talk about Extinction Agenda Number Two, uh, just real quick. Written by Mark Guggenheim. Art by Carmine Di Giandomenico. Colors by Nolan Woodard, letters by VCs Corey Bennett, Woohoo. and cover by David Nakayama. And we have another pretty cool cover. It's a red background with an X cut through. And inside the X, we have some X-Men fighting each other like we knew we would. Interestingly enough, we have Wolf's Bane. And we have Wolverine in his original costume with the whiskers on the mask. There's whiskers on the neck? Well, kind of. I always thought they looked like whiskers. The little lines right around the edge of the, the cowl. Okay. And, you know, that kind of makes sense as you get into the story, but when I first saw the cover, I was like, huh? What? Why is he wearing that suit? But we find out straight away that this beast, much like a beast from the future, uh, went back in time and took some X Men and brought them to the present. In this case, the Wolverine we know and love is not the Wolverine we know and love. From, well, not from the time of Extinction Agenda, where the story takes place, but he was brought back from right after Giant Size Number 1. And so that's why he would have this costume. And so they also brought back the original Thunderbird and Banshee and various other dead X-Men. And as we knew they would, uh, Havoc and his team of Genosian X-Men attack Rachel and her mutant kingdom. They wanted to steal Triad, the mutant healer, so they could try to... Uh, eradicate the mutant plague sort of no that's what they that's what they're trying to do yeah so they they get him they take him uh karma who is on havoc's team possesses a bunch of the other x-men on the other team to turn the tide of the battle and they actually take a bunch of them home with them but then of course there's a twist <gasps> that none of us except for dan and all of us saw coming <laughs> that is the genotian doctor or whatever takes triage and instead of trying to heal the mutants he tries to bring Cameron Hodge back to life so he can eradicate the real plague going on here mutant kind Yeah. so we do get a pretty cool uh, Wolverine thing because this is a time displaced Wolverine and prior to uh, any fastball special we get a new first fastball special just like that Ambrose song he wants Rogue to be his last first fastball special
0: Wow. That was really pushing it.
1: Yeah, you know, that's what I do. But that was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool little play, I guess. I thought the art was beautiful. It looked great on uh, digitally as well. Very clean. Uh, Juan Domenico's art, just I thought it was very nice. What do you think of the art?
0: I actually rather enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. I wasn't overly fond of the story. but Not, The
1: story was pretty passe. And Guggenheim who I predictably predicted as being predictable, <laughs> went exactly where he, uh, Dan and I thought he would go, and the pretty much story is going in exactly the polar opposite of direction of interesting. So I just thought the whole thing was a little passe. That said, I'm going to get, well, what are you going to give Extinction Agenda number two?
0: Eh, I'm going to give it three out of six, just because A, I love the art, and B, I kind of love Wolverine's, like, what's a fastball special?
1: Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also going to give it three out of six claws. And uh, if you had to guess, you know, assuming someday we'll we'll find Dan again, what do you think he would grade this issue just based on his last review?
0: Ooh, he was higher than us. He
1: gave it a four to number one.
0: Yeah, I bet he'd gave it. he give this one a four.
1: I think he'd do a three. I think he'd be right there with us. Because it went kind of plot-wise where neither of us wanted it to go, I think he'd dock it a claw for that. I you
0: know. can see that.
1: But, Dan, you'll have to... One day we' we'll, we'll, we'll find you. you'll have to have, let us know what your score would be.:
0: But let us know if it's really you and not some polar universe. Oh you. yeah,
1: I don't want a, a different Dan from the multiverse, the one no. where I'm, From the universe, the timeline, the part of battle a world where Dan uh, is a megalomaniac ruler. No,
0: no, no, no. So, so uh, Dan, if it's really you, say Poughkeepsie.
1: But if the other Dan's listening, he'll just say that because you told him to.
0: Well, the other Dan doesn't exist in our universe.
1: Uh, The podcast is multiversal, babe.
0: Okay, so don't say Poughkeepsie.
1: (laughs) You know how I know it's multiversal? How? Because what guards the nexus of the multiverse? What? The giant-sized man thing.
0: Wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: you heard it here first anyway that's extinction agenda um next up we're gonna go to matt for e is for extinction e yeah i so
0: feel like that they wouldn't. E for it? e for short no. no i feel like the what is it is it sesame street or oh. uh where they're like
1: e extinction <laughs> that's e. a dour show <laughs> <laughs> uh emo sesame street E. Extinction. E. What's another bad word that starts with E? Existential crisis. There you go.
0: Wow.
3: E.
1: Oh, yeah, Matt. I think Matt's ready to go.
3: Yeah, let's go.
1: Take it away, Matt.
3: Hello. This is Matthew Wilmot from the Intercomics podcast, and I'm here today to talk to you about E is for extinction. You can't tell, but my arms are in that, like, Cyclops exposition I think it looks cool I don't care what you people say So anyway, it's time for E is for Extinction Uh, Written by Chris Burnham uh, Art by uh, Ramon Villabobs And uh, colours by Ian Herring Um, This book's riffing On the Grant Morrison New X-Men run from a while ago Which some people say Is the greatest X-Men run Some people say Isn't the greatest X-Men run I'm part of the latter. Mainly, I just didn't like the fact that they took away the spandex and replaced it all with leather jackets. They they just didn't look as cool to me. But we do have the fantastic return of Beak, the most useless X-Man that there has ever been. He doesn't look so much like an inside-out chicken anymore. Now he just looks like um, sort of like a mold for a creature. That hasn't been finished. He looks like you new, know, like the first level. They're, they've just started carving in a couple of lines. They haven't actually done any real expressions. Um, yeah, he, he just looks stupid. But he doesn't look like a, an inside out chicken. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Uh, we start the book out in a uh, nice little uh, nightclub. Everyone's drinking, having a good time. Uh, Beak's trying to get on with some ladies, because apparently chicks dig ladies. And uh, then, oh no! Out of nowhere, the U-men show up, and they're all like, we're going to take your mutant powers, because mutants are jerks, and you're all just lazy and having fun. Um, This isn't going to end well. Beak makes an attempt at trying to uh, get rid of the U-men. Fails spectacularly and um then come the uh, the new x-men the actual new new x-men led by magneto who's now an old man and got a uh, sort of rather contemporary haircut like it's all long on the top but it's shaved up the sides he's he's rocking it you know so you know they show up and they throw down and just sort of murder everyone because it's Magneto and he kind of likes to kill him. At which point Scott and Emma show up and basically just get bitch slapped because they're useless and old and ridiculous. So they're all pushed away and we find that uh, Magneto has built a, a new school, a new home for mutants to learn about their abilities and to get an education. And it's not just a school for mutants, it's a school for humans as well. It's, he's wanting it to be a school for people with extraordinary talents. Despite your genetic makeup, he wants it to be a place of absolute excellence. So you start starting to think, maybe Magneto's chilled out a little in his old age. Maybe not. What's going on? Let's keep reading and find out. Uh, it turns out that, uh, well, you will have noticed right at the beginning of the book, something I probably forgot to tell you about. Um, Charles Xavier blew his head off. He just stuck to, he had two nine millimeters to his face, and he blew himself away. At the point, he was in contact with Jean Grey psychically, because you know all he does is go inside that girl's mind. And um, Jean Grey is now trapped. Her psychic essence is trapped in what basically looks like a great big lava covered egg. And Magneto has been keeping this, and it's hidden away, and no one's ever seen it. He's showing it to Quentin Quire because... Reasons. Uh, maybe it's because they've got the same haircut, although Quentin's is pink and it's not white. But, you know, they, they look sort of the same. We, we get a lovely little cameo from Dr. Hank McCoy, one of my favourite X-Men, who turns out has now just moved his talents into uh, being a baby-making machine. I don't mean that he's loving all the ladies himself, but he's helping parents identify which of their sperm carry the X-gene. Um, it these two are quite a lovely uh, sort of full page that's just full of sperm. Sort of like uh, a Xenoscope comic. But, you know, this one's much better because it's got Beast in it, and anything with Beast in can really only be good, even if that is the only good bit in it. So, yeah, we've got a few nice little character bits in here, you know, we find out more about Scott and Emma and how their powers have dwindled away and how they haven't really got anything left in the tank. We get to see the the new, new X-Men, Magneto's X-Men, fully going at it in the Danger Room, uh, which is always nice, X-Men in the Danger Room, sort of figuring out new power combinations and stuff. It's sort of like classic X-Men adventure type stuff, all inside their own perfectly safe school where they can't really be hurt. Of course, it wouldn't be an X book unless Wolverine was there. Uh, unlike in uh, years of future past, it's not old man Logan. But this Logan is old, and he's also losing his powers. His healing factor seems to be giving out on him. And um, because he's not paying attention, he cuts off some of his own fingers. And, you know, he's drunk, let's be honest. We should be amazed that he hasn't done this before, but... In this issue, he does. He cuts off some fingers, trying to make himself look big and tough, and just kind of looks like a bit of a chump. And, um, oh yeah, you know that sort of egg that's got Jean Grey's psychic essence in? Well, it turns out that Magneto just wants to show it to everybody. And he's showing it to uh, Esme, one of the Stepford Cuckoos. And it turns out that his plan is is he needs two psychic people to get her to come out of the shell. Quentin is one, obviously, and she's the two, the mother and the father of this psychic egg. So, you know, we've had sperm, we've had mummies and daddies, we've got fertilised eggs, and this basically is just a biology lesson in a book it seems. You keep on going, you know, Beast shows up again, it's like, oh my god, you're un. Beasty Beast, you're just regular-looking Hank McCoy, Hank McCoy. So this book has now got twice the amount of beast for your book. Prepare to be excited, people. Prepare to be excited. And then, you know, we, find, like, we finish the book with a nice little sequence of the classic X-Men, as Scott likes to call them, which is Scott, um, Emma, and Wolverine going to hatch a plan to try and get their powers back with a nice big, lovely reveal at the end. Who, who could it be, who could it be? Um, I'll be honest, out of the uh, Secret Wars books that I've read and out of the X-Men Secret Wars that I've read, this one's probably my least favourite. There's some jokes in here that don't really hit the mark, they just sort of fall flat. Nothing's really explained. So, like, all the other books seem to have done quite a good job of being like, right, this is what's happening in this particular part of battle world as it is um, there you go that's the background you got, with this you get nothing you sort of start with a uh, suicide and then go from there um, I am not a fan of this artwork, I will be honest It just I don't like the fact that everything looks so puffy and wrinkly at the same time it's like the, the jackets that Magneto wears and that the classic X-Men wear they just look like they're Full of old sort of newspapers, crumpled up. They, these look really strange. It's like those, you know, those big puffer jackets from the nineties. Do you remember those? That had like the big tires around the middle, and they were all full of padding. They've turned like sort of sleek leather jackets into puffer jackets, and that that, that wasn't a good look in the nineties. So we should stop that. We should just stop it and forget everything after 1994 was sort of a mistake, and let's just, you know, move on from that. It is sort of enjoyable, in the sense that it's, you know, sort of like a a completely different take on a previous story. It's, you know, got a bunch of different characters in that wouldn't normally see the light of day. It's just, it, it seems like everything that he's tried to do in this one issue... Has just sort of, just missed the mark. It feels like it could have done with, like, another pass. I think if the, if the script had been a little tighter, you maybe wouldn't have thought too much about the artwork, whether you liked it or not. You probably would have sort of, like, got into, you know, either the stories or the characters or whatever, but it just doesn't seem to fit anything. And because of that, I'm, I'm going to be... I'm going to be a little mean. I am going to give it just two claws out of six. It's, you know, it's sharp enough to cut you, but it wouldn't cut off some fingers. So there we go. Not the best Secret Wars book by quite a long margin and not the best X-Men book from Secret Wars. There's a few nice little bits in there, but I, I, I wouldn't hold out for this series getting much better Uh, I mean if you're a diehard X-Men fan you're probably gonna pick up all of them anyway just like I did Um, and you probably will read them all to the end but it's maybe not gonna be as big as an exciting as you were expecting it to be so yeah but maybe maybe don't go pick this one up maybe save a couple of bucks and you know go 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 buy your mum some flowers yeah, you know, go go go! Take your dad to the park and feed the ducks or something. I don't, I don't know, whatever young people do these days. <sighs> young people. Um, so anyway, I'm Matt from the Intercomics podcast. If you think I've got it totally wrong, you can hit me up on Twitter at Geek Without Fear. You know, we'll have a Twitter argument or we'll feud. We'll you know threaten each other with death. It would be fun. It'd be like just what the internet was made for. And um, now, I'm going to
1: hand it back to Jason. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. That was perfect. Right on the nose, I felt. Like, or not,
3: rather,
1: right on. Hit the nail on the head. God, mix, my metaphors are going crazy. Run right with you. I, You know, it's funny. The whole time I was reading this, I thought, this art is like an ugly parody of Frank Quietly, which I know for some ex-fans, that might be a sore point, because some people think that Frank Quietly's art is already ugly. If you're making it uglier, <laughs> well, well, it's terrible. I, for one, kind of like Frank Quietly, but this, while trying to be in that style or stick with the original storyline, it was just so ugly to me. And Matt, Matt nailed it just completely. It, how people can be wrinkly and baggy at the same time is just beyond me. So I agree, I did not care for the art. I thought the coloring was okay. But other than that, I just, the book was so ugly <laughs> to me. And I kind of got a be, all right, so there's one thing I really, really liked. There's, they make a reference to owl, the owl from daredevil and Wolverine having the same haircut, which I always thought was funny because they even said, you look like an owl and Wolverine's like, Ugh. <laughs> So I just thought it was funny to actually like call attention to that. And I actually kind of have a Wolverine beef. Because uh-huh. apparently he's really tall now, which is, I guess, quote-unquote funny. I didn't Wolverine. think it was funny. I didn't either, but I think that's what we were going for there with, with Burnham. But, um, yeah, so I don't think Wolverine can grow as a secondary mutation because the adamantium on his bones would force them to stay the same size. I would agree. Which, that even goes back, if you remember that Savage Wolverine story that Jock did? Yes. Wolverine talked about how they were bonding these kids too young. They would never be able to grow because their bones couldn't grow with them. Right. And so I prefer that philosophy to this one that he just magically expand his adamantium bones and be eight feet tall. I don't like that. I think it's dumb and doesn't work with Wolverine. I will say, going to the art, you know, Chris Burnham, I think he was appropriate to write this in a way because he's buddies with Grant Morrison. He's worked with them, uh, particularly on Batman Incorporated. But I will say he also drew Batman Incorporated with Grant Morrison. I kind of wish someone else had written this and Burnham had drawn it. Because Burnham kind of, I always kind of felt like, drew like a cleaner Frank Quietly. So it would have fit the original series, but looked much better. So to me, Marvel kind of made some weird choices on putting this book together. But, you know, it's their choice to make. But I was Matt. I, I thought the story was okay. But the art was not to my liking.
0: The art was awful. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. I'm going to give this book, though, the same grade as Matt. I'm going to go with two out of six claws.
0: I'm going to go lower.
1: Are you? Yeah. I I waffled. I almost went one.
0: I I, I went one. I just Emma Frost and Cyclops look.
1: Terrible. (sighs) Yeah. Washed up. I think we would all three agree, Matt included, that you don't really need to read this for any particular reason. Nope. So um, anyway, well, thank you, Matt, very much. Next up, we're going to go to Chandler for Age of Apocalypse. Take it away, Chandler.
4: Hi, my name is uh, Chandler Mellon. Thank you guys for having me on the show. And I'm lucky enough to get to review the first issue of the Secret Wars tie in Age of Apocalypse, which was I'm just going to say it off the bat loads better than Georgie made X-Men 92 out to be. It is brought to us by, and before I even try to pronounce this, I'm gonna get it wrong, I Googled it, and it was said it was uh, pronounced Fabian Nitsiesa, Um, but at the same time, I guess there was some forum that he was in, and he said that his last name is pronounced Kev Itch. I couldn't tell if he was just being sarcastic because it was in a forum. Beyond that, the art is brought to us by Gerardo Sandoval, colors by David Curiel, and then the letters are brought to us by V.C.'s Clayton Cowles. Before we even get into the issue, I haven't been reading comic books for more than just a handful of years, but I have read Age of Apocalypse. That was one comic book that I was very high up on my list when I got into them to read. I got uh, this big ol' omnibus, and I was just flipping through it right now, and it didn't even dawn on me that Fabian also wrote for the original Age of Apocalypse, both the amazing X-Men storylines and the Gambit and the external storylines were brought to us by Fabian, so that definitely gives him a bit more credit to write this story. Aside from that, I can't name off the top of my head anything that's been done by him but i really did enjoy this issue so it makes me want to go look for more and i did enjoy his work and the original stuff on the opening page one thing that did sort of throw me off a little bit is they give us the character boxes descriptions for magneto dr peter corbeau and holocaust slash william rolfson and i understand holocaust and slightly the doctor. Um, But really Dr. Peter Corbeau and Magneto don't have a big role in this issue for the first two thirds, three quarters or so. So it was just an odd choice to me to put that in there. But then again, that doesn't take away from how much I really did enjoy this comic book. It opens up with a beautiful spread of Holocaust just ravaging the Savage Lands and looking terrifying as hell the art throughout this entire issue really does remind me of uh joe madera's style very boxed and uh strong figures in a very good way and the colors complement basically every panel the inks are done very well as well i just said well twice i didn't like that um in terms of the story it was definitely an interesting read I don't know how much of this was drawn from the Age of Apocalypse storyline, I know there's a comic book that came after the initial event for a while, and I don't know how much of this was drawn from that, if at all. I was able to follow it though, without having read it. It's centered around the mutant Cypher, and for whatever reason, everyone wants Cypher, and even Cypher doesn't know why everyone wants him. But He's the, the target, he's the one of the the goal, the entire comic book is to get him. And the majority of it is seen from Apocalypse's point of view with Holocaust and his horsemen hunting him down. And it opens up with Holocaust again, tearing through the Savage Lands about to get Cypher when the wonderful X-Men come in and save the day. And I was really happy with this team because it had... Colossus, the Age of Apocalypse Colossus, with that red bandana on his head that I absolutely love. And I was really happy with it and I was really enjoying it. And major spoiler alert, they literally all die. There's one fight and they're all just killed because they destroy Holocaust's protective suit and his energy, radiation, fire from hell, whatever it might be. I guess they just refer to it as raw power kills all of them. Only is able to get away and save Cypher, but the teleportation that he attempts is too distant for him to survive the event. There was one page in here that sort of threw me off. Iron Man showed up with some stupid ass Phantom 3, and this is a joke. It was an ad for some random Iron Man digital comic book that's really just a big sell for some flying robot. I don't know, I thought that was stupid. Back to the actual comic book. We get to see Dark Beast, and Sinister's got a nice role in this one as well. And I know this is gonna disappoint Jason, but we actually don't get to see Wolverine until the last page? No, one, two, third to last page it looks like. We don't really get any of them at all, which means we'll get them more in the next issue. He was just reserved with Magneto, um, Blink, Rogue, and Emma Frost. Again, it was a beautiful book. It was a lot of fun to read. It'll be interesting to see how it ties into Secret Wars. I know that's something that can be assumed about almost all the titles because they seem to all be taking their own approach, the most hands-on really being Old Man Logan, and then there were others like Renew Your Vows that you can barely tell that they're part of the event all in all i'd have to give it probably a decent five out of six claws i really did think it was worth reading and anyone who enjoyed the original series or is just enjoying various ins for secret wars should definitely go ahead and pick it up for themselves thank you again if you guys want to find me on twitter after this wonderful and not awkward at all review my handle is at pray the number four chandler because i think i'm funnier than i really am thank you jason
1: okay thank you very much chandler that was great yeah a couple things i wanted to mention i agree with them. the weird thing at the beginning is uh when they're talking about magnino they say his name oh (laughs) I'm a moron. Well. So, no, so they do these little character bios that Chandler mentioned. That it's kind of weird because only one of these characters is prominent in the issue, like Chandler said. But they say uh, for Magneto's bio, they say, Leader of the X-Men, comma named after his deceased friend, Charles Xavier. Huh? Well, see, I read that like Magneto was... I'd named after name. but they're saying no the x-men are named after i'm a i'm a jackass <laughs> i was so like that's stupid what does that mean punctuation fellas get your ged <laughs>
0: <laughs> be nice
1: no no i'm being mean. Well, I to be nice about myself i can be as mean as i want i can be as self deprecating as i want to be
0: no you should love yourself
1: well i can do that too
0: you can't deprecate yourself and love yourself. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Yes, you can't. No, you can't.
1: How long can we do this?
0: Um, quite a while. Okay, I well, just took the cat now.
1: Well, I'm going to bypass.
0: Okay. <laughs> Edit it all out.
1: No, no. But um, anyway, yeah, I agree. One thing, you know, Chandler pointed out that I thought as well, and I'm sure we're not too alone in this. He talked about, you know, because uh, Joe Mad was one of the original artists and probably the main original artist on the original Age of Apocalypse stuff. And I've said before, I feel like Sandoval is kind of a spiritual successor to Joe Mad. Okay. And so I thought it was very fitting that he got to do this book. Right. And it made sense, kind of to carry on the artistic continuity. Right. And I, I loved, I mean, it's very stylized, no doubt. And he definitely is leaning heavily on a, even more like joe madden by using his character designs and stuff like that right I, I agree with Chandler. this is a beautiful book i did love the art and um i like the cover it kind of kicks back to the old 90s early 2000s it looks like we're gonna have a uh, a cover that forms like a big image because we just have wolverine's arm oh, okay you yeah know.
0: i wondered why we just had a so claw. i bet
1: i bet number two has wolverine front and center and maybe someone else kind of peeking around the edge and so the covers will probably form a big like poster like they used to in the old days.
3: Ooh. When I first
1: started uh, re- really getting into comics. I've i I'd been collecting a little bit, when I, but I really came in with the big boom in the early 90s.
0: That's when you didn't have a girlfriend. I to, was uh, <laughs> too young to have a girlfriend. Put you on a budget.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so I love the art. And I thought, I agree with Chandler as well. I thought the story was really fun. It felt like a blast from the past. And of course... Nicieza, or Chandler, I don't remember how you said it, I already forget how you said it, either way you said it, I always said it, Fabian Nicieza, and I don't think that's right, but that's what I've always said anyway, because no one ever corrected me. Someone correct him. Yeah. But anyway, of course, he was one of the biggest writers in the 90s, and uh, Chandler said he couldn't quite place the name other than some of the original Age of Apocalypse books, but he was also he kinda kicked off the the first run of the New Warriors, uh did a lot of early X Force stuff, maybe not right at the beginning, but very close. So yeah, he was a big big name in the nineties and uh this kind of felt like a throwback. Just kind of a fun X Men getting in trouble trying to fight their way out. I saw it was a good story. The only thing, you know, Chandler also said that he didn't know really why Cypher was there. And then Cypher even kind of made a joke like, I don't know why I'm so important either. And at the end of the issue, we still don't know what Apocalypse really wants from him. So that kind of bugged me. But, um, you know, I will point out kind of one of the things that also stuck out to me. There were a couple of uh, connectors that connect the dots between Secret Wars. At first, I read this. And, you know, I've kind of been so-so on the X-Books for Secret Wars so far. uh, Kind of up and down. Some of them are good. Some of them are pretty terrible, as we've discussed on the show. One thing they all seem to have in common is this mutant virus. And so... When I got to that in the story, I was like, oh man, not again. Why do all these stupid books have a, have a virus?
0: As long as it's not a microverse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's probably akin to the legacy virus storyline. And I thought, well, that's not very original. But then I thought, that actually kind of ties them all together. Especially because we've had little hints in various books and in the main Secret Wars books that uh, God Doom doesn't really care so much for mutants. And I'm kind of wondering if it's going to kind of play out that maybe he's responsible for some massive virus that, that affects all the mutants in all the parts of Battle World. And if so, I think that might be kind of cool and actually make it, like, tie together and tie into the main series. The other thing, we mentioned that uh, Sabretooth... They, they mentioned that Sabretooth was hunting down Cypher, but he got distracted. Hmm. I think, because an Old Man Logan... He finds, Sabretooth finds him, in, in, like he's on a hunt, and he finds Old Man Logan, he's like, hey, 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 what do we got in here? And I thought that Old Man Logan had climbed directly into the Age of Apocalypse world, but it was kind of jungly and we kind of commented on that. Right. And I'm wondering now, after this, if that was the Savage Land, and that was Sabretooth on his mission to find Cypher, but he found Old Man Logan, and... Oh, mean, it got when, distracted. Yeah, got distracted. So I thought those are cool, kind of like connect the dots kind of way, you know, connect the dots. La, 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 la. <laughs>
0: oh, see, I thought maybe they were trying to tie back to when Sabretooth turned good, like he got distracted.
1: Oh, uh, maybe. I don't know if this Sabretooth would have taken that route.
0: Instead of. By
1: the way, I just want to acknowledge that was the worst Pee Wee Herman ever
0: that was okay i didn't it's, even know who you were trying to do
1: yes <laughs> just, just i don't want it to roll by and people think man he must have thought he did a great job because i know i didn't Oh,
0: no. um. <laughs> i would have told you later
3: <laughs>
1: uh-huh. that's not nah, i used to know to do when i was little before i hit puberty now i can't uh, do them anymore
0: damn puberty
1: yeah right so i'm gonna I'm, no more i won't try anymore yeah so anything else you want to want to talk about on this one
0: no, I guess I've never read... I'm still not familiar with the whole Apocalypse storyline. Okay. So I know when I started reading it, you were like, so you just need to know Apocalypse 1. Right. Yeah, that didn't help.
1: Really? I didn't feel like it relied too much on the the previous story, but maybe that's just because I knew it. I mean, you have to know that all the characters are like different versions, but... That's kind of the whole thing of Secret Wars. So uh, anyway, what are you going to grade Age of Apocalypse number one?
0: Don't hate me. I'm just going to give it three out of six. Three out of six? Okay. The art was good, but the story, it just didn't. Maybe because I'm not familiar enough with the characters. It just didn't keep my attention.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to line up with Chandler. Um, I thought the art was great. I thought the story was just... I think the word that we're both going to fall back on is fun. And it just was a good read. Probably my favorite of the X-Men Secret Wars tie-in so far. So I'm, Wow, that's a tall order. Not really. They haven't been that good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm going to go with a five out of six clause, just by Chandler. Okay. So so again, want to thank all of our Secret Wars correspondents. Yes, thank um, you.
0: And hopefully we'll find the one that got lost.
1: Yeah, hopefully so. Uh, please, they all shouted out their twitters. Please go visit them, uh, tweet at them, tell them how awesome they are and how much you love them.
0: You can and do that to me too. Yeah, what's your Twitter? I don't know. What is my Twitter? Oh my gosh. I'm at. I, I,
1: I sure as so I don't know.
0: Well, you tweet at me.
1: I auto complete.
0: <laughs> oh, you don't know me. You just auto know
1: me. I just auto-know you. That's correct. You are at D-A-S underscore Venable. That's right. Yeah. And so, that's going to be it for our Secret Wars update. So, speaking of Twitter and stuff, uh, the Twitter for the show is at SnickCast. You can leave an iTunes review. You can like the Facebook page. Show notes and stuff are at snickcast.podbean.com and um... What else? Email. Email snickcast at yahoo dot com. And I guess that's it. So from the desk of Battle World, we are signing off. Until next time, hugs, hugs and, and snicks. snicks. Bye.